0: So let's open our Bibles, please, to Leviticus chapter 14. And as I say, we'll pick up the comments with verse 8. Let me read verse 8. It says, he, "...And he that is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes, and shave off all his hair, and wash himself in water, uh, that he may be clean. And after that he shall come into the camp, and shall tarry abroad out of his tent seven days." Now then, the leper, being pronounced clean, can begin to do what he could not have attempted to do before, and that is to cleanse himself. Before he could not do this, but now uh, the instruction is for him to do something. And you know, once we're uh, cleansed from our inherited leprosy, or sin, if you want to put it that way, well... uh then we're supposed to try to do something for ourselves. When the Lord saves us, He expects us to start cleaning up our lives, right? And uh, to cleanse uh, His clothing or His habits. To shave off all His hair. And this washing done, it was His privilege to take His place then in the camp. And so this is symbolical of the fact that after salvation... We must cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. I gave you 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1 when we talked about this earlier. And we could continue to uh, keep that in mind. Uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1. Remember it says, uh, I'll try to give it for you. If you want to turn to it. It says, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, or beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So, after we're saved, God expects us to do something for ourselves. Now, we could not originally cleanse ourselves from all of our sinful defilement. That took the salvation that the Lord provided for us. We just... We're not capable of doing that, and uh, but after we're saved, God expects something of us, and so Paul says, "Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God." Now it says of the flesh and of the spirit. We know we have the old carnal nature fleshly nature and also uh, man's spirit it's not talking here about the Holy Spirit by the way if you'll notice uh, you don't have a capital s which in every case is not uh, the only way it's detected whether it's the spirit of man or the spirit of God because you have to look at the context because some interpreters of the Bible or some uh, some uh, times you'll find the word. S, capitalized, when maybe there's a question and it might ought to be a, a small letter, sp- speaking of another kind of a spirit. It's all one word in the original. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the word Spirit, or the Spirit of man, or even the Spirit of demons, comes from all uh, one, one Greek word, P-N-E-U-M-A. And it depends upon the context as to how you interpret the passage of Scripture. And uh, a lot of times, uh, we've had, I, I could show you some places, but especially one place in the New Testament, when I believe that it should be talking about man's spirit as the attitude of it, instead of the Holy Spirit that many... Uh, Bible scholars have put Holy Spirit. The word Holy is not there. Or it would be very simple. If the word Holy Spirit was there, we'd take it Holy Spirit, wouldn't we? But if it's absent and it just says Spirit, then we have to use the context to determine which it is. And I won't get into that because that's a whole another sermon. And it's very important. And at the proper time, I might get into it for you. But uh, at this time, let's just content ourselves to realize that uh, after we're saved, we need to cleanse our hearts and our lives and our spirit of everything that is contrary to the will of God and perfect holiness in in the fear of God. Now then, this leper, he was permitted into the camp, but not into his tent. And though knowing redemption and knowing the Word as the cleansing power through the blood, the leper must be brought into an intelligent communion with his own special place and his own portion and privileges in Christ. In other words, we're going ahead and saying that the leper, signifying you and I as sinners being cleansed, uh, and already associating it up with us as uh, having the privilege of communion uh, with Christ. And uh, so I'm. I'm really eliminating the actual condition of the leper sometimes and just going ahead and giving you the interpretation that it applies to you and I who are cleansed and so we have special privileges and we have a special place and we have uh, we're brought into a uh, intelligent communion uh in this place with the Lord and many redeemed uh that uh Many redeemed that never went into the privilege of cleansing before. And uh, on the eighth day, the leper could go in unhindered into communion uh, with Christ. He could go into his tent. Verse 9 says, But it shall be on the seventh day that he shall... Shave all his hair off his head, and his beard and his eyebrows, even all his hair he shall shave off, and he shall wash his clothes. Also he shall wash his flesh in water, and he shall be clean. So here it was the whole thing. Uh, before that, it was partial uh, cleansing in that way, but now he wants, uh, he's instructed to do all this. And then God has cleansed the leper just as clean as He will ever be, in fact, uh, in the fact of forgiven sins. We, we're just as clean and cleansed as we will ever be as far as forgiven sin is concerned. Now, God wants us to uh, reckon ourselves dead to the old, the old sins and alive unto God. In verses 10 through 12, you can keep it before you. I won't read all the verses every time, but. Uh, I will go ahead and read uh, a portion of it. Let's see. I think it will be the twelfth verse. Let's just read the twelfth verse. And the priest that maketh him clean shall present the man that is to be made clean and those things before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. No, that was verse 11 I read, wasn't it? Okay, verse 12. And the priest shall take one he lamb and offer him for a trespass offering and the the log of oil uh, and wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. By the way, a a log of oil was about uh, two-thirds of a pint of oil. And he would take a portion of this to do the ceremonial cleansing that he was to perform according to the Uh, Directions that God had given. Now, uh, we find here that the mercies of God given here demand that we present ourselves a living sacrifice. We find that in the New Testament in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Uh, Paul says, "...I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God." which is your reasonable service. Just as the priest had to offer sacrifice, uh, here, one he lamb for a trespass offering, and then the other part, uh, and the log of oil, and wave them for a wave offering before the Lord, we have to offer ourselves before the Lord as a living sacrifice. All these sacrifices over here, where there was bloodshed, were sacrifices of innocent victims that had to be killed. And then there were other offerings that were offered for various reasons. But we in the New Testament are told to present ourselves a living sacrifice. And when Paul said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, the word therefore connects you with all of the uh, previous 11 chapters of the book of Romans. First you find in the first chapter how that We have the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. You come over to the third chapter and all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In the fourth chapter, you have Christ uh, was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. Chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, and it connects you with the first four chapters, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. So all that Paul sums up in the fifth chapter, verse 1, takes all of the first four chapters. And then you get over to 8th chapter, verse 1. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So, there's therefore now. And that embraces all the first seven chapters. And we could go on and on in detail of what you find in those first seven chapters. But then when you come over to the the 12th chapter, verse 1, it says... Uh, It says, uh, uh, I beseech you therefore, brethren, the one we've been dealing with, by the mercies of God. And so when you think of the mercies of God, you go back and trace all those mercies all the way back to the first chapter. And especially in the 11th chapter, you'll find the mercies of God mentioned time and time again. Now then, so what we find is that these mercies of God, and it was certainly merciful for the For the leper to be cleansed of his leprosy causes him to present himself or to present the offering or the priest to present the offering for him. Now, when God has redeemed us, we should take every opportunity for testifying of His grace. Remember the ten lepers that came to Jesus? And uh, Jesus said, Go thy way and show yourself to the priest. He'll tell you if you're cleansed. And the Bible says, And as they went, by the way, in obedience to the Word of Jesus, as they went, they were cleansed. There's some cleansing that takes place as we are obedient to the Word. Some cleansing in our lives. But they all were cleansed. Ten of them. And one who was a Samaritan returned to thank Jesus for it. For his cleansing. And lo and behold, Jesus said, were there not ten cleansed? He says, where are the nine? And sometimes we have multitudes of people who are Christians or who've been saved uh, and uh, they uh, take advantage of the salvation that God has offered them freely and thank God they do. But then what happens? Do they ever return and say thanks by their presence in the house of God? Do they return and say thanks by their devotion to God and by presenting them their bodies a living sacrifice or by serving the Lord? You know, every person that's saved is safe to serve. You're not saved for for just your own convenience. You're to do something. And whatever God lays on your heart, everyone can't preach, everyone is not a deacon, everyone's not a special singer, or everyone cannot have the talents to do uh, many things that are done in the church. But everyone can do something. All of us can pray, right? And I'm sure that there's occasions where you can invite someone to, to the house of God. I'm sure that you might have an opportunity to tell someone what the Lord has done for you. And so, in doing that, you can be serving God. And I don't expect very many of many of us will make a great mark in this world, but we can make whatever God wants us to do. I remember in the seminary, Doctor Godso used to say that when the time all comes that we're, you know, all those seminary students and all that had enthusiasm about going to to a mission field or pastoring a church or establishing a church or preaching and teaching the Word of God. He said, I'm sure that when it's all said and done, we'll be just like a grain of sand upon the whole seashore. And that's probably what we'll amount to. But nevertheless, we will be that one grain, will we not? So we can do what God wants us to do. By the way, we're not going to all make a big splash. But let me tell you something. Did you know a perfect dive doesn't make a splash? Have you ever thought about that? You see them. Have you seen these diving contests on Olympics or something? And they go down, and I mean, there's not a sprinkle of water comes up anywhere. It's so good, and they rate them. Uh, you know, that's a ten, nine or a ten. But the guy that gets—I I used to think of that belly buster kind. You know, jump out in there, and man, waters fly uh, fly everywhere. Well, you know, that's not a very good dive. You get in the water, but that's about all it amounts to. And you might keep that in, in mind. And uh, still waters run deep. It's all the babbling brooks that are running swift and carelessly all over everywhere. And, of course, we like the springs and we like the, those in their proper place. But uh, there's a lot of ways to compare it. Uh, as to what you, what you might think about your life and your service for God. Ever thought about a drum? Beating on a drum? You know what makes that real sound inside the drum? Nothing but air. I mean, it's just filled with air or you wouldn't get the sound at all. And it's, it, it's the emptiness that makes the, the sound. So you and I have a lot of things to compare. Now then, when God has redeemed us, we ought to take our opportunities to do what He wants to do. When we present ourselves, we must also present our offering. And that's what this uh, amounted to as far as the leper is concerned. And both us and our offering must be presented before the Lord by the priest uh, that made us clean. If you'll notice, the, the person and the priest... In verse 12, "...and the priest shall take one he lamb and offer him for a trespass offering and a log of oil and wave them for a wave offering uh, before the Lord." And verse 11 says, "...the priest that maketh him clean shall present the man that is to be made clean, and those things..." So it's not only the man, but those things. Those things he was commanded to offer. So, both us, we're the leper, and our offering... Must be presented. Now then, in verse thirteen, fourteen, And he shall slay the lamb in the place where he shall kill the sin offering, in the burnt offering, in the holy place. For as the sin offering is the priest, so is the trespass offering. It is most holy. And the priest shall take some of the blood, the trespass offering, the priest shall put it upon the tip of the right ear of him that is to be cleansed, and upon the thumb of his right hand, and upon the great toe of his right foot. Now, we might say, what is this all about? The ear, and the hand, and the foot. The ear that has been the channel of corrupt communication must be cleansed. You know, Paul says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But he says, that which is used to edify. And so, we have to take this ear of ours that's been hearing too many things that's not good for us to hear. And by the way, don't let your head be filled with most of the things you hear today, because there's a lot that would be better if we just leave off, isn't it? And uh, the right hand that has been the channel of vile, unclean deeds must be cleansed. So what we do, and then the foot that has trodden the path of iniquity must be cleansed. And all of these need God's cleansing. Our hearing and our actions and our walk in life. That's why Jesus washed the disciples' feet. He says, you know, He told Peter, He says, you don't need to wash all over. You're already clean. But He says, you do need to wash your feet. Why, Why do you... Why does this indicate what we have? It's our everyday walk of life that needs daily cleansing, and that's why we find in First John chapter one, verse seven, nine, and long in there, it says, uh, "If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness." I believe that's verse nine, probably. But anyway, uh, there's several verses there in First John. Now, uh, the thing about it is, you and I, regardless of how we would like to stay stay clean in the whole world that we walk in day by day, we're going to become somewhat contaminated. Either in word or deed or action or something that will happen during the day. And our daily walk needs to be taken care of at least by the time we get ready to retire at night And confess our sins and say, Lord, I know probably some things, maybe you won't even be mindful of it, but you'll say, Lord, I know I've walked in this world all this day. And there's probably some things that I shouldn't have seen or shouldn't have heard, shouldn't have done. And my walk may need some cleansing. My ear may need to be more in tune with the things of God. My hand may be more in tune with doing the things God would have me to do. And certainly my walk. And I want to confess my need for all forgiveness and go to sleep with a clear conscience. Isn't that a wonderful thing that God has given us that privilege and opportunity? And don't fail to do it. And by the way, each and every one does that for themselves. No one can do this for you. And you don't have to cry it out aloud. You can pray it in your heart. And when you get ready to forget about the whole burdens of this day and the things that go on throughout the day, you can say, Lord, whatever's happened, I want you to wipe the slate clean and I want to go to go to bed and go to sleep in your protection and your care and and uh And with a clear conscience. That's a happy way to go to sleep, isn't it? And that should be the condition of all of our hearts. And God will give you that privilege. It wouldn't hurt, you know, you think of the little childhood prayer that we used to say and pray. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take and that's not a bad prayer even though it's childish uh in fact we're just child children anyway aren't we we're child like in many ways and we should uh that's not a bad thing either it's not a bad thing in some ways we need to grow up and be mature but in other ways we need to be accepted as God's dear children now then when we come to this point of all I said it speaks of a log of oil. A part of that log of oil. And uh, in verse 14 he says, The priest shall take some of the blood of the trespass offering. The priest shall put it upon the tip of the right ear of him that is to be cleansed, upon the thumb of his right hand, upon the toe of his right foot. And the priest shall take some of the log of oil and pour it into the palm of his own left hand. The priest shall dip his hand in... uh, dip his... uh, right finger and the oil that is in his left hand, and shall sprinkle the oil with his finger seven times before the Lord. And it talks about this log of oil in verse 15. We said it's about two, two-thirds of a pint of oil. And anyway, oil is in the Bible typical of the Holy Spirit. So you see here in this that we've read, that the ear is to be consecrated, so that it's swift to hear the voices of the Good Shepherd. The hand is to be consecrated so that it can become an instrument of righteousness. And the foot is to be consecrated to run in the way of God in the right way. And if you'll notice that the blood was mixed with the water, and also notice that the blood was under the oil, showing forth that all of the comforts of grace, comforts and graces of Christianity are possible only through the blood. The Bible says it's the blood that maketh atonement for the soul. And it's only through the blood that many of these things are accomplished. Verse 19 and 20. Let's read those. And the priest shall offer the sin offering and make an atonement for him that is to be cleansed from his uncleanness. And afterward he shall kill the burnt offering. And the priest shall offer the burnt offering and the meat offering upon the altar. And the priest shall make an atonement for him and he shall be clean. All of this is what God commanded to be done, and the priest was following the orders of God. Now, God visited the leper where he was, but did not leave him where he was. He visited In other words, the priest went outside of the camp first to visit the leper, didn't he? Now, God has come outside to visit us. But he doesn't leave us where he finds us. You know, Jesus said that in Luke 15 that the good shepherd goes out and seeks that one out of the hundred, ninety and nine safe in the fold, that one which is lost, and when he hath found it, he layeth it upon his shoulder, and brings it home, comes back with rejoicing, called his neighbors together, and they rejoice with him. And he says, there's joy in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. So we find that God does not leave us out in the wild, or out in the street, or out in a lost state, but He brings us back where He needs to, uh, to bring us to and, and have fellowship with Him. He went forth prepared to do for the leper what the the leper could not do for himself. Had the leper been able to cleanse himself without the, uh, the priest's help or God's help, he wouldn't have gone out there to see about him. But he went out to do something for him that he couldn't do for himself. And that's what Jesus has done for us. He's done something for us that we could not do for ourselves. We could not save ourselves. God uh, went to Adam in the garden. Adam didn't come to God. But God went out to Adam to bring him back to himself. And he called Adam. And Adam finally had to repent. And finally see his condition. And then God clothed him with coats of skins finally. After he He and Eve had covered themselves with fig leaves. And God says, that won't do. Fig leaves are symbolical of man's self-righteousness. And our self-righteousness is not good enough righteousness. Because the Bible said, all of our righteousnesses, by the way, that's a plural word, that means all of them put together, are as filthy rags, we'd all fade as leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. I think I told you one time in your own privacy to study what filthy rags are. And you'll find that we're very unclean. Uh, he went forth prepared to do for the leper then what he couldn't do. The leper was conducted from the place of defilement to the very door of the tabernacle. Remember, the prodigal son had to come at, from that hog pen back to the father's house. And then the the Father put on, him, put on him the best robe. That's righteousness. Shoes on his feet. A ring on his hand. And all the good things. And we've given you the symbolical meaning of those before. Compare with what the leper lost with what the leper gained. And he gained everything in the sight of God. Now, let me just hurry along uh, and give you some more things. There's a whole passage of Scripture you could read on down from verses 21 through 32. And you'd find that there was provision for the poor leper. Poverty did not excuse anyone from bringing an offering. The poor leper could bring his uh, offering. God, God requires according to what a man has and not according to what he does not have. And then we study later on if the plague uh, be in the house. That is verse 34. And I think I've already pointed out that it could be in a man or it could be in a garment or it could be in the house later on. And the house becomes a type of the local church, by the way. This is God's house. Not the building itself. But what makes it God's house is God's people are in it. The assembly of God the church of the living God. So, Paul says, ye are the temple of God. He didn't say, this building I see here, because they met in every kind of building. They met in various places in the early church. And later on, they started building special... You know, the Jews had the synagogues. Later on, under the Christian era, they began to build places to meet for worship. And we call it the church house, and that's what it is. Church house. It's it's a place where they meet, but it's not uh, the real uh, church. Is the people. The church is actually the people, and this convenience that we have—the four walls and the seats and the 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 things that we have for our convenience here to assemble together—is the building. But uh, we need not confuse the two, but yet we find that (coughs) in this day and hour it's necessary to have a place better than meeting in a cave like some of the early Christians had to do. It's better than trying to hide in some place that they had to because of the persecution. So we can thank God that we can freely find a place to assemble together as the house of God, the church of God. And... Be able to worship the Lord, and so the house, the house becomes a type of the local church, meaning the people and belonging to it. And the same calmness and patience was necessary in dealing with the house as dealing with the individual. The priest had to show the same calmness and same consideration in dealing with the house with the house cleansing, as he did uh, the the rest of it. You read the instructions about dealing with a house. It tells various ways. I I won't read it all, but I will uh, mention that the whole house was not to be destroyed at first if it found it was a house full of uh, lepers, stones. They were to be tried. And in the case that the house was hopeless, the whole building was to be destroyed. And you'll find that in the cleansing of the house. In verse 45, well, let's just read a few verses. Uh, if the house was to be found contaminated, let's drop down to verse 40. It says, Then the priest shall command that they take away the stones in which the plague is, and they shall cast them into an unclean place without the city. And he shall cause the house to be scraped with, within, round about, and they shall... "...pour out the dust that they scrape off without the city into an unclean place, and they shall take other stones and put them in the place of those stones. And he shall take other mortar and shall plaster the house. And if the plague come again and break out in the house, after that he hath taken away the stones. And after he has scraped the house and after it's plastered, then the priest shall come and look. And behold, if the, if the plague be spread in the house... It is a fretting leprosy in the house. It is unclean. And he shall break down the house. So there comes a time that if it was not cleansed by replacing and cleansing part of it, that the whole thing had to be broke down. Wouldn't it be a sad thing if the whole church had to be destroyed? You read over the churches that Jesus speaks of in the book of Revelation... And he speaks of some that had somewhat against it. Thou hast left thy first love. And that had to be corrected. Even though that they were doing many things that were good. In those seven churches in the book of Revelation, in some, Jesus commends the things that are good and He condemns the things that are bad. But you get over the church of Laodicea and it was corrupt. It was corrupt. And it shows, it's symbolical of the church of the last days that will be so corrupt that the Lord will have nothing to do with it. There were others that had to suffer persecution. There were some that had good things and bad things. But wherever there was a complete necessity, if the house was a hopeless case, the whole building had to be destroyed. Now then... We make up the stones in the house and sometimes these stones need to be replaced and cleansed and and the cleansing needs to take place in the church, in our individual lives. Let's put it that way. And when that takes place, then everything is, is okay. There's no contagious leprosy there. Well, everything's all right. And that's why we as individuals are bent upon or at least encouraged to do uh, cleansing of our own hearts and our own lives you see if there's if there's something unclean in the church that in a stone or two here and there it's up to the individual to do that self-cleansing and the lord will by conviction and causing a person to confess sin and repent and change their ways will do that cleansing in the, in the church of God and that's what we want is a clean house, isn't it? And so who who's that who is the responsibility up to? It's up to every individual in the church. because see, we're all functioning now as priests in our own right. You say, well preacher, you're supposed to do that. I can't do that. I can't cleanse your heart but I can encourage you to do it for yourself. And that's what I'm supposed to do. And I can encourage, through the Word, myself to do it for myself. And that's why the Bible says that we're built up living stones. Look in the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 20. It says, We're built and are built upon the foundation... Of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. Now look at this: in whom all the building, fitly framed together, groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. So as the church were the holy temple in the Lord, we have the foundation of it. How it began, how the apostles were uh, the part of it in their day, and then now the holy, the buildings built together. In verse twenty two, in whom ye also are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So we're built up for a spiritual habitation. Look in first Peter, if you will, chapter two. First Peter Chapter two. Now, I want you to see this. And it says, Ye also, in verse five, as lively stones. Remember we talked about the stones in the house? as lively stones or living stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood. We are a holy priesthood. Doesn't say the preacher is. Doesn't say the deacon is. Doesn't say a a priest in the church is. We're all priests. Every one of us. On the same level. The preacher's job is not to be a priest, it's to be a preacher and a teacher. You know that? I can't forgive your sins. But you we have a great high priest seated on the right hand of God. Jesus, the Son of God, and He tells us to come boldly, all of us, to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. But back to this Scripture. Ye also as living stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So we're living stones. On down in verse uh, 9, it says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, Gentiles, not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So that's where we fit. Is you see, all that are not Jews are Gentiles. All of us here are Gentiles. I would think. I don't see a Jew among us. But anyway, uh, we can't tell by looking, by the way, because God knows those people that are of Israel and of Jews by, by nature, by natural descent. But what I'm saying is all of us are of the Gentile race or people. And therefore, we're all built up a spiritual house an holy nation, peculiar people, and that we all should offer the praises of Him who has called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. Now, we're going to have to hurry. I want to finish this on the the lepers tonight. So, we find that if you contrast uh, with the leper, the things that produces leprosy, we've already told you that a little... Leprosy could be contaminated from one to another. Uh, Paul said in the New Testament, "...a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump." And after these defective stones have been removed, there's no necessity for further judgment on that house. Those defective stones might completely uh, heal it. And we cannot sit, sit idly by so long as there's anything of a suspicious nature making its appearance in the church. And that's why we have church discipline. It should be exercised church discipline. And if we see a brother or sister living in sin, we need to tell them about it. If we see someone that is just absolutely uh, contrary to the holy things of God, we should make make it known to them and ask them to to, uh, do something about it in their own lives. And the same ceremonial cleansing is required for the house as the individual. If you study that about the house, cleansing of the leper's house, the same, or the house of leper, I say, that had leprosy in the house, uh, there were indications that there were certain red streaks in between the stones. And I don't know really what it would be like because The only thing I can think of nowadays that you would find that would indicate a house...